0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, and with me today, Cam Raslan, we have... um, He is producer at BFM and an ex-banker. He is Mikey Gong. Hi, Cam. Great to see you. And all the way from uh, Sweden, we've repositioned the A Bit of Culture satellites to be able to beam her directly to us. She is now... I used to tell a different uh, list of things, that her accomplishments, but now she's a senior writer, cultural advisor at Avalanche Studios in Stockholm, where uh, they work in game development, game dev, sorry. And uh, <laughs> the, their famous games are, for those who might know, uh, Just Cause and one called Call of the Wild. She is Bernice Chorley. Hello.
1: Greetings from Stockholm.
0: I would say hello in Swedish, but I don't know how to.
1: Well, it's got more on. Good morning.
0: Oh, cool. Okay. And uh, our three topics this week will be, topic number one is, Mikey, you're going to have to tell me this one again.
2: Okay. It's hating the good, liking the bad, and loving the ugly. What does it say about you when you support the bad guy at the movies?
0: Okay. And topic number two is having COVID. And finally, topic number three will be, uh, we're going to look back on the life career of the late Jit Murad, playwright and Wit and raconteur of uh, Malaysia. And so uh, Mikey, let's begin with you: uh, the good the bad and the ugly. This was actually partially
2: inspired by our last conversation together. Actually, Bernice was uh, was talking about the Mandalorian, and I managed, to, I managed to catch up with it. Great show, love it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Very cool. great recommendation. But then it got me thinking, it's pretty obvious who the, the bad guy is and the, the bad guys are and who the good, and who the hero is what would it say about you if you actually supported the Imperials against Mando? And I extrapolated this. What, are there any movies where you've deliberately chosen the side of the the bad side against the good? Uh, and what does it actually say about you psychologically? Or does it have to say anything at all? What do you think?
0: Uh, Bernice, he, he's asked a question about Star Wars. You have to go first.
2: It's not necessarily about <laughs> Star Wars. Um I was actually thinking of other movies, uh, for example, in Avatar. I actually found myself supporting the humans.
0: The, they were the, the rapacious colonizers, were they not?
2: Rapacious colonizers against the aliens. And that was actually surprising. Now, Avatar is actually based on dancers with wolves. And I didn't have that issue. I was totally, and I was totally on the side of the Native Americans and against uh, uh, the soldiers. So I was actually quite surprised about that. I thought myself, okay, that's, that's interesting. Why did this happen?
1: So you're saying that you're you're you know you want me to consider rooting for Darth Vader?
2: Uh, <laughs> would you ever?
1: <laughs> or Boba Fett?
2: Yeah, oh, well, not uh, Boba Fett. Or Jabba Bob the Boba Hutt, Fett. I guess. Yeah.
1: Because the thing is, okay, so the thing with the the Mandalorian is that it's it's very clear cut who the bad guys are. I think it goes back to the trope of you know who's the good guy, who's the bad guy in in all kinds of fiction, in all kinds of narrative fiction, whether it's you know in books and and in, in right now, of course, it's television because it's I think it's a sort of golden time for for television at the moment. Um, but in the newest one of the one of the episodes of Boba Fett, which is the spin-off of um, The Mandalorian, is that you get a very very interesting view of the Tuscan Raiders. So you've always seen the Tuscan Raiders as the bad guys, these guys who just you know they 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 pillage, you know, they kill you, they, they steal from you and stuff like that. And in one episode, you get to see why the Tuscan readers are the way they are. And, and you see a compassionate side of the bad guy. And I think maybe that's the trick. It's to look at the compassionate side of Darth Vader, why he became the way he did. There's always a story. And I guess for us to, to find out what that story is, instead of dismissing what is the obvious. So maybe what you're saying is that we need to look to the flip side of why someone becomes a villain. Is that mm. what you're saying?
0: But at the end of the, the initial Star Wars cycle, we do see uh, Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. We do see Darth Vader, the man, the father, the mm-hmm. good guy. He's become a good guy, though. The mass murderer. Yeah, but we see him as a good guy. So now we, we empathize with him. We sympathize with him, rather.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But he has to prove his goodness.
1: Yeah, well, he's he doesn't start off being bad. You know, like, you know, again, it goes back to the whole question is, are we born evil? Are we, you know, are we conditioned to become certain things? Mm-hmm. Certain I ways? don't think
2: Bernice is talking about him showing his good side, but she's talking more about the context of, by by which he became a mm. bad person. Is that right, Bernice?
1: Yes, I suppose it's it's to Yeah, the hows and the whys. You know, the hows and the whys. I mean, if you're looking at Dances with Wolves or Avatar, I mean, humans are, you know, they are there for a purpose. Hmm. To take what they can. Um, I don't know. It's 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 the sort of enduring question, I suppose. What makes a person
0: bad? I think that that novels, the book, has an advantage over films because with films, you only get to understand a person, a character, through their actions mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and their words. But in the novel, you are you're able to get inside their heads. You're invited into their heads to see how they think. So a character who does. I'm thinking now of many characters in, in Dickens that I've read who, you know, do outwardly bad things. But then mm-hmm. when you get inside their heads, you go, oh, okay, I understand why you're doing it. It's like a perfectly reasonable, yes, you should do that, shouldn't you? Um, but the repercussions are bad for a, a whole load of other characters. And then you yes. sort of forgive them and you kind of root for them.
1: But I think you need to have that kind of, you know, if you look at Joseph Campbell and the archetypes, I mean, it's, it's they're archetypes. Human beings have are flawed. We are, we're meant to be flawed. We're not meant to be perfect. If you're we all perfect, then we'd be boring. <laughs> you know, you you don't want sort of, you know, singular layered characters when you're when you're creating fiction. You have to have that kind of complexity. And I suppose what you're saying is that it's, it's necessary to have that kind of complexity.
2: I think the commercial reasons why you don't want a complexity in movies, uh, I totally agree with you about the hero's journey uh, that is in Star Wars. But that's actually played down in favor of a good side, Luke Skywalker and company, versus and a, a bad side. You know, um, uh, that's pretty obvious. Right down, right down the fact that Luke wears white and Darth Vader is totally in black. Mm. You can't get any more graphic, yeah. pretty obvious than that.
0: In, in in one of the really early uh, silent movies by directed by D.W. Griffith, he introduced the the scenario where two generals walk into a tent. The first one goes in and kicks a dog. The second one goes in and scratches the dog. So you know instantly which is the good general and which is the bad general. And then, and also D.W. Griffiths also had the white hat, black hat thing to denote goodness and badness. It makes so much easier when you're watching a movie. I mean, you, you said good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, the, the Spaghetti Westerns actually did have characters where which one's good, which one's bad, which one's ugly. And it's a bit confusing sometimes.
2: There was an evolution. I mean, if you go from the early Westerns, uh... The white hat, good hat, um, motif was very obvious. But then suddenly got more to more morally ambiguous characters. I mean, that I think that that started with Clint Eastwood, uh, you know, and his movies. And then it suddenly uh, went, you know, went on from and went on from then. And then you have the revisionist westerns and and all that. But in the very beginning, that dividing line was very clear, as in the the very early Star Wars movies, you know.
1: And this is the beauty of the western, I guess. I mean, the western is just you know, it's it's such a it's a no-brainer. You have a, you know, like the power of the dog, Jane Campion's Mm. the power of the dog. Immediately, you know who the bad guys are, who the good guys are, and the morally ambiguous, ethically ambiguous characters in between. But then there is no one sort of singular type or archetype as to what makes a villain a villain these days. Um, I think that's maybe the complexity in storytelling, you know, because of what is right, what is wrong. And I think I think filmmakers and and um, fiction writers are now trying to explore the spaces that lie in between. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, we must move on, but um, I, I will I will take your challenge, um, mm-hmm. Mikey. I'll, I'll watch Star Wars again. What the heck? And I'll and I'll root for <laughs> Darth Vader and the Stormtroopers next time. Should
2: <laughs> Oh, any movie for that matter? Have you ever and have you ever watched any movie and said, why did I go for the be- and and for and for the wrong site so to speak i,
0: I don't know i mean you, you i can't i think i'll come back to maybe it'll come to okay. me later on but i can't right. think of one but uh, we must move on to topic number two uh which is having covid because i have been off the airwaves for a couple of weeks because i had covid and thank you so much for all the emails phone calls letters of encouragement uh, from from dear you dear listeners I no idea yeah no yeah. and um and so I, would, I kind of wanted to talk about it because um it was a strange experience, and the strangest and strongest part was the psychological, emotional, which I think people don't really talk about. And um, I had I had it mild, uh, but it didn't feel like a small thing at the time. I didn't have really any symptoms apart from great tiredness. But the thing that really played played on me was the fear. I mean, there there I was. I'd contracted. I don't know where the hell I got it, but I contracted this virus that we've been talking about and afraid of for two whole years now. And I had it. And we've, we've all seen the stories of people dying and it, it, was, um, it was a frightening thing. But then I, I know of people equally, people I know who said, oh, I just had the sniffles for a couple of days and that's fine after that. It's like, no big deal. And I was thinking, wow, you're a tough guy. I, I am not built like that. You, you, you discover the monster out there is made by the sum of your fears and it is in the shape of your particular personal fears. And I have discovered... Uh, i mean mikey was asking just now what does it say about you if you root for the bad guy i've discovered that i'm i'm not as strong (laughs) as some people or maybe i'm just more you know sensitive but um i mean i've worked worked so hard to try and avoid it and then it got me so i i mean you too you have not had it have you
1: i mean i don't know i was ill last week and i thought i had covid but i didn't and you know because nobody's wearing masks in sweden anymore all the restrictions have lifted so i don't know i could have caught it on the subway but i was kind of fluy for about a week i feel fine now um i don't know these tests are they reliable who knows but Mm. but give me an example like what you know just how that terror sort
0: of struck you because i'm i'm every given second i'm i'm i am thinking about my body I'm thinking about how is my body reacting to things. Is that was that a, was that a chill I was feeling? Was that a tremor? Was that was that uh, my heart going faster? Um, uh, and 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 it's um, the more you think about that, the worse it is. You should not do that. But but to be able to take my mind off it was very hard.
2: Can I ask you a pretty obvious question? Um, why was this different from any other time in your life when you felt sick, which I'm pretty sure you have
0: absolutely yeah no, and I was thinking about that i've actually I had a flu once many years ago, which was worse mm. but but that flu i no one ever told me you could die from that flu, but um it was simply that it's because of we've been thinking and talking about this in our whole world, and the way that we live has been changed for the last two years by this thing, and that's how it's different because. You could die from this. Mm. I've not yet had an illness, and one day it surely will come. When I do have an illness where one could die. And and so I'm thinking, you know, what have I done with my life? <laughs> 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 oh, it, it's just, it's just yeah, this, this I, I felt that like it's a psychological roller coaster.
2: I I suffer from uh hypochondria. Yeah. And so one year to COVID, I said to my friend, "It's interesting. Before COVID, no one could understand how I felt, <laughs> and now everyone knows how I feel. Everyone is me, and I and I am there, so and so to speak. So that was a very interesting paradigm change for me. I wasn't special in in the sense, because everyone and uh, you know, I was on the same page. So um, uh, yeah."
0: and bernice you've always been a healthy living person i mean you know in terms of not, not just running and jogging and not that kind of thing but you know you you you're aware of what you're consuming and the the life that you live
1: uh, yeah yeah i've started doing a very Swedish thing which is um the vintabad, the ice baths and uh, <laughs> it's that's that's pretty crazy stuff but um no i really like it and um yeah i guess to answer your question i i i try to not push my body, but to try different things that, I guess, boosts immunity. You know, um, I take echinacea every day, which is sort of a tincture, um, which boosts your immunity, and I've started doing the, win- the winter baths.
0: And um... But, but can, I, can I ask, Bernie, since you've been in Sweden, which is like the first country that really said, ah, to hell with it, we're not going to bother with this, uh, right from the get-go, have you become, um, not blasé, but have you become uh, less afraid of this? I mean, all the people around you are, what the heck, we're just going to carry on our lives.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
0: you're psychologically, you are perhaps a bit more immune to the fears.
1: Perhaps, perhaps. Sweden was the only country in the world that didn't impose a lockdown because they have um, a word that's called Jantelagen, and it's, it's the freedom to roam. It's the, you know, the country has a policy where every single person has the right to roam. You can go into the forest, you can forage for food. So this is why they couldn't impose a lockdown because it goes against the constitution of who they are mm, as people. That's interesting. And um and yeah it's you know it's it's something that that is is it was real culture shock coming here you know not seeing anyone wearing masks and stuff like that but I think now that I'm you know I've been here for a few months now I understand why they are the way they are they're very resilient people. Um <laughs> and and it's not like you know people still do wear masks on the subway just not everyone and it's a little bit disconcerting, but at the same time, you kind of understand why, you know, these people have been vaccinated. And if you're ill, you don't go out, you don't leave your home. So it's a a combination of common sense um, and practicality, pragmatism, and the fact that, you know, this is who I am. This is uh, what the country is. um, This is what the politicians say. So I will do what they say. But at the same time, this is my right as a Swede. Um, I have the freedom to roam, and I'm going to do that.
0: Yeah. And they you left behind weaklings like myself and Mikey to kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm,
2: a, I'm actually in Australia at the moment, and I understand what Bernice is talking about because it's the same over here. There are restrictions, but uh, by and large, it's a more relaxed atmosphere over here. And people aren't trying to caution to the wind. They're still wearing mm. masks in, uh, on public transport, as Bernice mm. was, uh, was saying. But uh, outdoors, um, you know, everyone's quite chill about it and that's the perfect word for it and honestly i can see the rationality behind doing that it's a, it's a holistic approach to to mapping out endemically living with covid rather than reacting to yeah uh,
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, you described you about to see, say me weren't you you were about to say being a, <laughs> 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 a a psychologically weak person like me yeah okay well we're gonna move on then but um i just want to say that um uh you know Please do whatever you can to not get it. And uh, I, don't mm. know, I, I can't make a recommendation, mm. but, you know, bear in mind the psychological aspect is something that we don't really talk about with it, and that it, it's a thing. It's a symptom, really, in, in its way.
1: No, of course, because underlying all of that, the it's, it's, you know, question is, am I going to die? Am I going to die from this? So yeah. your mortality sort of flashes in your face, I guess, every second of the day when you're ill.
0: Yes, yes, police understands me. But the thing <laughs> is that people do die from the
2: flu, I mean, a very small percentage
0: yeah yeah okay well um <clears throat> we move on but I'm, I'm feeling much better now thank you and you don't have to keep sending those letters and the uh <laughs> those emails what about, and those
2: what about money what about money do you still want
0: him to send money um mikey's got a good point there uh <laughs> Keep sending money. Money. <laughs> money. Okay. Just keep sending the money, but you know, oh, the, the letters. The letters of condolences, or whatever. No need. But in a moment, uh, we're going to come back with um well it's, it's very sad. Um, it's sad for me and for Burnies. Uh, we're talk about the late Jit Morad here on A Bit of Culture BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Russland, Mikey Gong, and bernice Chorley, all the way from Sweden. And now uh bernice Jit Morad.
1: Yeah, um, It's very sad. And I still am just grappling with the way and the hows and the whys of how to talk about him. You know, Jit was someone I met um, very early on after I returned back to Malaysia from Canada. And um, he was one of the, you know, first people. I met Marion de Cruz, Joe Pukata, Zahim, and all that. But Jit was just someone who sort of stood out. And then, of course, my first Theatrical experience um, was *Midsummer Night's Dream* at um, at Carcosa with Instant Cafe, and he played Puck, and he was absolutely extraordinary. He, you know, nailed the role, and it began. It began this 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 very long, enduring, beautiful, um, quirky, bizarre, you know, friendship with Jit, which lasted almost three decades. Um, I'm very, very conflicted because I know that you know the last years were very, very difficult for him and for his community of friends, because I think this is, again, you know, the great tragedy of the Malaysian artist. It's being present in the work, but then not being recognized when you're alive and only sort of being celebrated when you're dead. And, you know, the film that I acted in, which was based on his his award-winning play, um, Spilt Gravy on Rice, was stuck in Finas or Lumbaga Penafsilan film for, you know, more than 10 years. If that film had been shown within that time, you know, within this, this ridiculous um, matter of, of it being shuffled from one editing room to another in the last 10 years, maybe things would have changed. Maybe it would have given him a, a lease on life. Maybe he would have felt better about himself. I don't know. It's It's I'm very, very conflicted. I'm really sad. It's it's such a shocking thing to have happened to someone who was so brilliant. And I don't think we'll ever see anyone like the likes of him again. You know, he had just a fiery mind, um, even though he was ill physically. He was his, he was so sharp and he could still crack a joke and be so pointed in his reflection of, of the day or, you know, someone coming to visit him or observing something on a table or, you, do you know what I mean? It was just, he never lost that sense of humor. He just never lost that, that. That wit and that cheekiness and joy, you know, it's 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 really sad. And I don't know how to mourn him. I don't. And I'm I want to talk about him because I miss him and I've missed him for a very, very long time. And um
0: Well well let's let's first of all just at least his works and his achievements. So Jit Morad was a playwright, principally, and he died at the age of sixty two, I think he was. And his plays mostly came out in the 1990s, I think almost entirely in the 1990s.
1: In 2000s, in 2000s, yeah. He was very prolific for about 15, 20 years, plus the stuff he did with Instant Café.
0: Yes, that's that. right. So he, started, he was one of the founder, founding members of Instant Café, along with uh, Joko Kuthas, Zahim Abakri and Andrew Lessie. And that was the satirical theatre troupe, um, then he went on to write plays. He wrote, for instance, Bernie's mentioned it just now.
1: Gold Rain and Hailstones, which was the first one.
0: Yeah, Gold Rain and Hailstones, which kind of, that looked at his, his time as a student overseas in America and then his mm-hmm. return to Malaysia. Then there was um, Spilt Gravy on Rice.
1: Yes, there was Visits, there was The Storyteller.
0: Storyteller, yes.
1: Which, was, which is the musical. Mm-hmm.
0: And then on top of that, he also um, did stand-up comedy. Yes, he was Rene Choi. In the guise of his character, Rene Choi, who was the hairdresser to the stars in yep. in his uh, hairdressing saloon in Sungai Wong. Sungai Wong, yeah. So, uh, upstairs there, Sungai Wong Plaza. And, um, and he was, yeah, he was um, he was amazing, really. He, he was, I'm sorry, Mikey, I don't think you you did not know of, did you know anything of? Had you ever heard of Jit Morad?
2: I've heard of Jit Murat before, but I'm really embarrassed to say that I don't know anything about his works. And I think that's actually a kind of sad reflection on myself, as well as quite a, I'm, I'm, I'm presupposing, I'm quite a lot of people who don't know much about him, his life, or his work. And I'm trying to actually work out why that is.
0: That's because in Malaysia, there's no uh, funding for the arts, and there's no respect for the arts, and and he operated oh, right. entirely in the English, English language. Uh, mm. so i mean sil- everything siloed but uh he would have been i mean i've been thinking like you know in the uk he'd be like Stephen fry yeah um and or, or actually go back further still oscar wilde he was in a play yes um, oscar, the, the, yeah. the trials of oscar wilde and he played oscar mm. wilde and in many ways he was our oscar wilde and yeah. oscar wilde didn't come to a good end either <laughs>
2: Yeah. Um, can I ask Bernice one question, because you feel very passionately uh, about your friendship with him? How, going forward, how can how can we best uh, honour his, his memory? How can, can the government, who should do something about honouring his memory?
1: Well, I think the fact that, you know, I've heard from the producers that Spilt Gravy is going to be screened in the cinemas this year. So that's a start, you know, that would be a start to actually screen this film that was made in 2011. Is it? Yes. Yeah, it was, you know, 12 years ago. Um, and, you know, we, a bunch of us got together and we compiled his plays and we produced a book as well called Jit Marat Plays. And I think maybe just to to stage his plays, to have it, you know, taught in schools and in universities, in, in the English and, you know, language departments, drama departments, um, to remember him by staging his work, really, and to...
0: to... Some students in uh, Sunway, uh, well, one college anyway, have been... Putting on his plays, which is really gratifying. One well, of the things about his plays is that um, they were perhaps very much of their time. In that, uh, in the nineties, I mean, Malaysia in the nineties was very different from Malaysia in the eighties. You had this oh. this uh, economic explosion, and and also you had a phenomena which would have been felt perhaps in Kuala Lumpur, not necessarily anywhere else. A lot of people returning, young Malaysians returning, who would otherwise normally have not returned. <laughs> they would have stayed in the UK or Australia or wherever, but instead came back. I'm, myself and Bernice were... No, I
2: was, I was one of them as well.
0: Oh, well, there you go. And and so he talked about that and he, he reflected that and um, I wouldn't say celebrated it, but I think in a way the audiences were kind of rev- reveling in, in that excitement of the 90s. Yeah. And I, I don't know if, if, if Jits, if the bedrock, the cultural bedrock of his work... Does carry on through. I mean, it's funny. His stuff's funny. It is very funny and sharp. Um, yeah, the man was such a wit. It was incredible.
1: But it's also very. I think he he questions. You know, his work is not. It's not. Um, it's very provocative, and which is what you know, great work is meant to be. It's it's meant to question you. It means it's it's meant to question who we are as as a people, as as Malaysians, as Malays. As, you know, as as Chinese Malaysians, as what whatever it is that makes us who we are, um, but it was written in such a way that was that was that was challenging. It was ch- it challenged the norm. It had such an incisive kind of point of view that was also funny. It was acerbic. It was bitter sweet. You know, it just it was good work. It was good writing, and I think you know he challenged the status quo and and he ruffled a lot of feathers. As well in the process.
0: Yeah. I think also it was middle class. And I mean that in a good sense. Yes. So far, it, it was the landscape had always been dominated by race, the, the concept of race being these separating things. Mm-hmm. But when, it, when if, the, if a like minded audience went to one of Jit's plays, they could be whatever, their backgrounds would be racially whatever, but they're united by middle class uh, aspirations and middle class uh, fears. And, and shared a lot in common, which were officially not supposed to share yeah yeah wow. and Mikey, you were saying about um h- how to celebrate or whatever is um how to,
2: how to celebrate or honor I, I, what honor keeps coming to my mind
0: I don't rightly know, but there is a play that he wrote that never got performed, which uh, there is some talk of some of his friends getting together and to to perform this play um called entourage entourage and mm-hmm. uh and I, I maybe it's not finished i don't know but it, it's it's still going to be better than most people's work <laughs> even in unfinished form and um yeah so one day that that should happen and then we'll put the word out and, and mikey come along and bernice if you're i mean you're you're in sweden now so <laughs> <who knows. laughs> um well we're doing this
1: it's you know the via the Abilities of technology and the wonders of satellites.
0: <laughs> yeah. But <clears throat> I don't know quite how I don't know if this, this isn't a he was a really dazzling fella. He was very he was a goal, he was golden. He was when you met him back in the nineties and stuff, the man was so damn charming. And yeah. and if he smiled at you, um, on the one hand you'd sort of think, this guy's being so charming and insincere, but at the same time, I it's like I'm the luckiest guy in the world right now because he's smiling at me. And then he was unable to fully cash in through art, through his work, um, and make a career where he was, he did actually, did pretty well, I have to say, actually. He did in his stand up work and stuff, he did get paid quite well.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: he did. But there are a lot of actors out there, actually, who work in different languages. And when, when get later on in life, it gets bad out there. So it would be nice if we could find a way to help them out, I think. So, uh, Bernice, mm. uh, last, last thoughts on Jit Moran.
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I will find a way to, to mourn him and to remember him in my own way. Um, but, um, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for the time that we had and I'm grateful for the times that, that we did sort of reach out to him as a community to try and help him. And I think that's, you know, I just wish we could have done more, but at the same time, you know, Jit was not, he was an artist to the very end. You know, he was true and true to the who he was as, as the ethos of what a creative person was. He was not easy to deal with. He was difficult. He was prickly. He challenged you. He could be, you know, sort of loving and then nasty the next. I mean, that's just who he was. Mm um and you know but but that was jit and i want to remember him in all his glory and all his his madness and his um his foibles but at the same time it's just i just think it's it's a tragedy it's just such a sad terrible thing that we've lost a brilliant mind um in the arts and um and um it's it's a great loss i don't think that there will be anyone else like him
0: no I've never met anyone like him and I never thought I could. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So Jit died in February.
1: Yes, the 12th.
0: Uh, at the age of 62, playwright and comedian. And, and comedy, it, comedy's art. It's, it's, it's real art and he made it art. Yeah. So uh, we move on though to um, the final part of the show, recommendations, where we recommend something that we think might be of interest and Mikey goes first.
2: Um, I'd like to recommend and something called purposeful traveling um and this has to do with what you were and um, talking about when in terms of catching covid before covid i travel quite a bit but i couldn't say anything that it was really with a sense of purposes you know uh, for, for enjoyment's sake uh, that uh, you know i'd I, I love to go uh, where, where should i go to end uh, this weekend okay where should i fly off to but now i've realized and after the pandemic that this is place for something called purposeful traveling, which is understanding why you're going somewhere and possibly spending a longer time there for a real purpose. Uh, it could be going to another country to work for a while, going somewhere to do some charity work, who knows, but it's not for the same um, I'm just gonna go in and uh, enjoy myself a while we can fly back and have a great uh, set of great experiences which you want to put on Instagram.
0: So, where, where are you going to purposefully travel to, and what purpose are you going to do, Mikey?
2: No, I'm in Australia at the moment, and I'm here doing a few things, and it's not for the normal stuff. Oh, well, you, you, can't, I,
0: you can't just leave it at that. What are you wrestling crocodiles? I mean, what is it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not stringing shrimps on the Barbie. <laughs> what <which> you're wondering?
0: <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't know you were in Australia. It's amazing. Like Bernie's is all the way in Sweden. You're in Australia, anyway. it's incredible. Isn't it incredible? Um, so seriously, what are you doing?
2: I'm actually here to visit my parents, and um, you know, and, and look after them, which I haven't done for for two years. And that's what I meant by purposeful traveling. In the past, it may have been to go over and say hi, how are you going? I think it's okay, great. Let's go eat now. Yeah, I, know, I haven't had the late, you know, take me to the latest restaurants and the hottest restaurants in Melbourne. But now there's a sense of just different sense of gravitas, if that's the right word. Um, sobriety it's a a little bit different Uh, I I can't quite the same way that you couldn't quite describe the psychological feelings associated with COVID I'm having trouble actually expositing it as well
0: yeah yeah okay so um, Mikey's uh, recommendation is for people to go to travel to Australia and look after his parents
2: (laughs) I'd
0: pay
2: you. <laughs> no, I don't think
0: I've got, I haven't got any money. Okay. Okay. All right. I, I think that actually what you just told was a different, was a different story from what you're saying. Um, uh, Purposeful travel. My, okay. My recommendation is it's a Netflix show and it's called cheer and it's about cheerleading squad in East Texas. Ha. <laughs> and it's fantastic. Um, it's in its second season now. Either of you two watched Cheer? No? I, I saw the, the, the promo for it,
2: but I just skipped past it. And I'm really intrigued now. What, what attracts you?
0: Well, it, I've, I've always been um, fascinated by cheerleading, the American-style cheerleading, because it's so incredibly athletic and dangerous as hell. Apparently, there are more sports injuries in cheerleading in, in U.S. schools than in any, other, in any sports, including American football. And so this is a deep dive into one particular school, uh, which is like, a, they're like the national champions at cheerleading, and and just meeting the, the people there. Now, in the first season, I'm sorry, I'm going to go on for about 10 hours about this now. Um, in the first season, we met all the characters, but in between season one and season two, a criminal scandal broke, uh, came out. And so season two is now having to deal, is sort of talking, they're showing how they're dealing with uh, negotiating that and telling that 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 scandal and um, it's just really good. I, I stop looking at are you. I, you're looking at me. I can see you, you two are looking at me. But, no, but um, is it?
1: I'm, I'm curious. Is it? Is it sort of film documentary style? Like, oh, yeah, oh yeah. Oh yes. Okay. No, sorry.
0: It's not. It's 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 a documentary mm-hmm. style thing. Mm-hmm. It's very well shot actually, and um, mm. it's um, it's just pretty good. So check it out, please. And
2: so, so it's a, so it's a reality show.
0: It, it's a documentary series um but i get well what is a reality show i mean yes you cut to them then talking about stuff but it's more it it has a more of a documentary feel than reality show but i guess it is very much in that kind of territory as well um so yeah it's called cheer if you watch it you won't look at me like that anymore it's really (laughs) good okay 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 and uh all right bernice what's your recommendation
1: yeah, well, um another Netflix Netflix series called uh, Midnight Mass. Have you heard oh, of it? Oh yeah. Is it good? Yeah, so I'm not really a fan of horror. Um in fact, I abhor horror because it's so, you know, it's terrifying and hmm. I don't get I don't sleep at night. But Midnight Mass had rave reviews and I think over Christmas because I had some time off from work, I decided to watch the entire series and I was completely blown away. Um, It's really, really good in the fact that it's, it takes the trope of horror, but it subverts it into making this, this incredibly uh, compelling series about human beings and their need for forgiveness. Yeah, so every character in the series either needs to be forgiven, it needs to forgive. um, And, you know, so it's, and it grapples with religion. So, and it's religion gone awry. It's set in a very small island, a fictional island. So everything's sort of set in that those boundaries. The characters thrive and they live and they exist within those, those borders and all sorts of strange things happen. It also has um, the, the notion of the angel, the angel of death in, in, in the story. So, and you have a priest, um, you have supernatural things that happen on this island, but it's really just extraordinary storytelling, great writing, it's really well shot it's just all in all a fantastic series from Mike Flanagan who also did Haunting of Hill House, uh, *Blind Manor and that sort of thing. So he's a real master at horror. I believe he's making Henry James's Turn of the Screw next, um, which I look forward to as well. But yeah, so for someone who does not like horror, um, this was something that was really quite extraordinary.
0: See, I don't like horror either because it's scary. So mm-hmm. it's, is it scary? Is it, it I'm is gonna be scary. watching it like between the I between mean, my fingers it, the whole time? It is
1: scary, but once you kind of get past the you know the jump scares, you kind of understand why it's it's there. It's there for a reason. Um if it's of course a little bit gory in parts, um, but goriness I think is is part of horror. Um yeah, but it's it's I don't know, it's I've never seen anything like it. And um sort of it really did blow me away right till the end, from the very beginning. Um Till the final episode, I was just completely gripped.
0: Yeah, Mikey, have you
2: seen it? No, I haven't actually. I'm more I'm of a fan of psychological horror, like Shutter Island, uh, mm. le- you know, which actually leaves you feeling really disturbed <laughs> for uh, quite a while after that.
0: Sounds like your kind of thing, then. Yeah, but actually, I have less
2: issue with gory horror because you know it's just CGI special effects for me
0: most times. Mm.
2: Mm. Yeah.
1: But psychological horror, sorry, uh, like the others. Um, mm. And I think The Sixth Sense is also a yes. psychological yes, horror. Exactly. You have that, that twist at the end. So,
2: yeah.
1: What's the others? Oh, it's the Nicole Kidman one. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, that's a good one.
1: That's also really, really good.
2: Yeah, that's really good.
0: Isn't that The Turn of the Screw as well? Isn't that a, a film version of The Turn of the Screw? Um, Henry I James is.
1: Not sure. I'm, yeah. No, oh, okay. not sure.
0: Um, <clears throat> okay, so uh, that's uh, Midnight Mass. I'll I'll try it. I I mean I, I'm intrigued by what you're saying, but I, mm. I scary things I can't do scary these days. <clears throat> I've seen the clips and it looks good.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna go more with Midnight Mass than the cheer No, you've got to you've got to watch cheer. You have to watch it. <laughs> okay, okay, you're fine. Kat.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay, well that brings us to the end of this week's uh show. And I wanna thank I wanna thank modern technology because Mikey Gong is in Melbourne, Bernie's Chorley is in Stockholm, I'm kind of halfway in Malaysia. I mean, I mean, I think that's just amazing. hmm You know? Yep. Um, yeah. So, so, yes, thank you, uh, Mikey Gong. Thank you, Pam. Uh, good luck with your parents and uh, finding somebody to purposefully <laughs> help you out with that. And uh, thank you, Bernice Chorley. Thank you. And... Uh, Tuck,
1: tuck, 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 tuck to Mikey, tuck snuggle.
0: <laughs> not bad for an girl. <laughs> <laughs> various iterations of thank you in in. Swedish. Uh, well, and, and good luck with the um the game dev.
1: Yeah, it's uh it's, we're a long way away it from launching it, so.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. If you, are we, if you ever want any beta testing, me and Mikey will uh, volunteer. Yep. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so uh, and myself, Cam Ruslan, who is back from COVID. And uh, please join us next week for another exciting episode of A Bit of Culture here on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.